You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Chapter 45, verse 18. Genesis 45, verse 18. As you're turning there, put your finger on it, and uh, I'm going to uh, pray for us as we open God's Word. Jesus, we marvel at your sovereignty. For one thing, Lord, your grace and your mercy, that you would choose to redeem us, knowing how sinful we are. And from the beginning, from before the foundations of the earth, from before the foundations of the universe, you saw it all, having all foreknowledge. And you chose to go through with it. Lord, great is your love towards us. Lord, help us to understand your love for us today. And to respond with hearts touched by a God who would pour such great favor and love upon messy people like us. Jesus, we thank you for your work on the cross. To redeem us and to bring us back to yourself. So now, Lord, as we open your word and as we read your word, would you have mercy on us and would you inspire us to see your love, your wisdom, your grace, and Lord, that we might be changed people, that we might walk with you, that we might serve you well. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Uh, Chapter 45, verse 18, uh, bring your father. This is Joseph speaking to his brothers. He has just revealed himself. I am, he's been speaking in Hebrew this whole time. Excuse me, speaking in Egyptian this whole time. The first words he speaks in Hebrew to his brothers is, I am Joseph, who you tried to kill, who you sold as a slave. I am Joseph. And they didn't know if their heads were going to roll, right? They didn't know what was going to happen. It would be right for their heads to roll, right? Off with their heads. And Joseph tells him, speaking Hebrew, I am Joseph, your brother. And he gives them incredible grace. Uh, we looked at this last week. You meant this for evil, but God used it for good. A picture of the cross. Man meant that for evil, and God meant it for good. And I want you to know, in all that we deal, deal with in the world, uh, the enemy wants to use it for evil, and God is going to use it all for his good, right? Just, and now they're standing before him just blown away. Uh, they don't know if their head's going to roll. And God says, no, Pharaoh says, excuse me, Joseph says, no, no, no. You meant it for evil. Uh, God meant it for good. Uh, you're forgiven. I've already forgiven you. Uh, and now he invites them to come into the wealth of the land of Egypt. Look what he tells them in verse 18. Bring your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you will eat the fat of the land in a world of famine. You're going you're gonna to have an abundance. In a world of starvation, you're going to be satisfied in full. And this is a picture of who we are in Jesus Christ. We live in a sinful world that's broken. And we have divine blessings from the kingdom to give us sustenance for the day. And he says, listen, you're gonna, uh, I'm, I'm at the right hand of power, and you're going to have the best of the kingdom, and you're going to eat the fat of the land. Verse 19, now you are, to, you are commanded, do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones, for your wives, and bring your father and come. I want the whole family to come all together. And do not be concerned about your goods. For the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. You have the kingdom is yours. Don't worry about your stuff. Just come into the kingdom. Verse 21. Then the sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh. The Egyptian motorcade was theirs, right? And he gave them provisions for their journey. Uh, He just blessed them with all kinds of stuff that they needed. And he gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments. Interesting. Interesting. Here, these brothers who are as guilty as sin, they tried to kill their brother. They sold him as a slave. They sinned against him. 
They lied to their dad. They've been living in deceit for 22 years. And on a moment's notice, they're cleansed and they're forgiven and they're given righteous garments. Guess what Jesus gives you the moment that you make him your Lord and your Savior? Guess what he gives you? A righteous, his perfect righteousness given to you as a free gift. Righteous garments. And Joseph there, a foreshadow of Jesus, clothes his brothers in the royal righteous garments, right? A picture of you and I in Jesus Christ. Just amazing. And he gives them all that they need and, and uh, provisions for their journey. Of uh, 22, he gave uh, to all of them, each man, changes of garments. But to, to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. Uh, Benjamin was just a little boy when his brothers sold him and did this to him. Benjamin had no part in it, and he, he blesses Benjamin, Benjamin abundantly here. Verse 23, and he sent his father, excuse me, and he sent to his father these things. Uh, the Egyptian motorcade here, 10 donkeys loaded with goods, the things of Egypt, and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. So on the male donkeys, you just had all kinds of gold and silver and abundance and the treasures of Egypt. On the female donkeys was all the food. Uh, and the female donkeys would be really important on a trip, by the way, because the female donkeys produce milk. And uh, they would be you know, just taken care of in, in all their ways. So they're loaded with this Egyptian motorcade. Verse 23. And he sent to his father... Oh, no, sorry, 24... Uh, so he sent his brothers away, and they departed, and he said to them, uh, this is really important. I want you to underline these words, and I want you to read them out loud with me. So he said to them, read this with me, see that you do not become troubled along the way. Will you say that again? See that you do not become troubled along the way. Uh, what a story. What a piece of history. Joseph, can you imagine what he must be thinking? He must just be standing in awe of God as he looks at all God has accomplished. He was just 17 years old when he had these dreams. And now he sees that God has brought it into reality. God has brought the dream that he had into fruition. God has taken what was of faith and made it a reality. All his family there, and now him reuniting all of the family and saving the family from sure death in this famine that they are living in. And he must just be in awe of God's goodness and grace. God, it's exactly as you said it would happen. And think about it. Joseph's brothers came to him that day, starving to death, looking for food, and they leave, how? The VIPs of the kingdom, given all the riches of the kingdom. What a picture of Jesus and our salvation. And he tells them something very interesting. He tells them, do not become what? Troubled on the way. Why does he tell them that? Well, here's why. Because we are creatures of habit. And Joseph is calling them to leave the old life behind. I want you to leave everything else behind. And I want you to come into the kingdom to live a brand new life in fellowship with me. That's what Jesus does for us. Leave your old life behind and come into the kingdom uh, have all the riches of the kingdom and live in fellowship with the king, Jesus. But the problem is we are creatures of habit and change is not easy. And we don't like leaving the old life behind. And oftentimes I have found when God calls me to step out into faith into a brand new territory. Step out in faith, leaving the old life behind and come here to what I'm calling you to. Initially, I go, yeah, that's amazing. And then the moment I start thinking about it, I go, I don't know if I can do that. You ever have that happen to you? So think about what it might be happen, what it might be like. Yeah, here's what happens. As we step out in faith into a brand new territory, 
we are prone to become troubled along the way. And Joseph, in all of his wisdom as the king, he knows that. Think about what it was like for Joseph's brothers, the the tribes of Israel. The first day as they leave Egypt to go back home and get, get the family so they can leave all the stuff behind and get dad and come to the come live in the kingdom. The first day they must be going, can you believe it? Our minds are blown. Oh my gosh. Joseph, our own brother, the savior of the world, ruling at the right hand. Who would have ever dreamed? How did that? And they were just blown away. But then they started thinking. We got to leave all of our old stuff. We got to start a brand new life. What about the kids' school? What about my business? I don't know if I can do this. What if it doesn't work? What if I mess up? What if I'm not any good at it? What's going to happen? Change is often hard for us because we like what is comfortable. I find it so crazy as I speak to the homeless and I minister to them and I bring the gospel to them. I find it so interesting. It is so hard for them to leave their stuff. And you think you have nothing. Yeah, but I got my shopping cart, man. What about my shopping cart? And how do I walk in this brand new life? I don't know if I can do it. And we stay comfortably miserable. I'm not picking on homeless. I'm using hyperbole to illustrate what happens to you and I. God calls us to step out in faith. And we're like, I don't know if I can leave this. Leave what? Your shopping cart? But that's who we are. And we're prone to become troubled along the way. I don't know, man. What's going to happen? Joseph knew his brothers would start worrying. Well, how are we going to move? What about all our friends? What about our crops? What about our business? What about that HOA meeting I have on Tuesday? What about my jacuzzi? Yeah, you got to leave your jacuzzi. I don't know if I can leave my jacuzzi. We start wondering these things, and, we, and here's what Joseph tells him. Hey, don't become troubled along the way. Joseph knew that in order for his brothers to enter into the riches of the kingdom, they'd have to leave their old life. You know what else Joseph knew that they would have to do? They would have to go tell dad that Joseph is alive, which would be great news. They'd love doing that. But in order to tell, Joseph, to tell dad that Joseph is alive, what do they have to tell, tell dad? <clears throat> dad, we've been lying to you for 22 years. You see, they told, Joseph, they told Israel, their dad, uh, is this your son's coat? It was all bloody. They poured animal blood all over it. Yes, that's my son's coat. Oh my gosh, a wild animal must have devoured him. Oh gosh, dad, sorry. That is, that's his coat? Oh my gosh. And they watched their dad mourn for 22 years. They watched their dad cry and wail. They watched their dad suffer great heartache and anguish. And for 22 years, they were so selfish. They were so carnal. They were so self-absorbed that they never came to him and told their dad the truth. And Joseph knew that in order to come into the kingdom, they would have to deal with their previous sin and come face to face with it. Wow. And as he invites them into this brand new kingdom, he says, now listen, as you take this new step of faith into this brand new kingdom, do not become troubled along the way. Christian, I want you to know that's really good advice for who? For me, for you. May we hold on to it. And here's what Joseph knows. When we repent of our sin." And we move forward in faith, we grow. And we grow tremendously. But it requires us to repent of our sin and to move forward in faith. And you know what happens when we think about repenting of our sin and moving forward in faith? It often appears so difficult to do. 
well, I can't tell dad that. I mean, I can't tell dad the truth. How about we make up another lie about what happened to Joseph? And we'll try to bring some of the truth of the kingdom into this. And we'll tell him he's still alive, but maybe we'll tell him. And how many of you think they were battling those kind of temptations? Yeah, a lot, right? And, and, and here's what uh, Joseph is telling. Joseph knowing this, the king ruling on the throne. Listen, I'm calling you to a brand new kingdom. Don't get troubled on the way. Don't think, what about my old life? How's it going to work? I don't know if I can do it. Maybe I can make more lies to bring, bring more lies into the... No, 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 no. You have to repent of your sin and you have to step out in faith. But when you do, you're going to grow and you're going to be blessed and you're going to enter into the riches of the kingdom. How amazing. Our flesh tells us, don't, don't do it, man. Hold on to your sin. You can improve a little bit. Go ahead and go into the kingdom, but bring your stuff with you, right? Uh, and uh, it's a big mistake. I want you to know that repenting of our sin and walking in truth is life-giving. And it is an incredible reward. And I want you to know, holding on to your sin and trying to compromise somehow, it will suck the life out of you. Some of you are here today, and you haven't had joy in a long time. Maybe you're battling depression. Maybe you're, you just, it just feels like the gears don't mesh every day when you wake up. And Tuesday seems to crash into Wednesday very clumsily. And there's always something, just, you're, just, you're just always a cog off, right? Just, always just, and you're wondering why there's not joy in your life. I want you to know being in the center of God's will produces an abundance of joy. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. And it comes from walking in the center of God's will. And when we hold on to sin because we we're afraid to go in faith and we don't really want to deal with the sin of our past, it brings our life incredible destruction. King David was a man who sinned against God big time, big time. God had blessed him abundantly. The kingdom of Israel was at its zenith. David was at the peak of his career. God had provided for him on all sides. And there as he was sitting on top of his mansion on a beautiful sunset evening, he looks across and he sees this smoking, gorgeous, beautifully hot woman. And instead of denying his flesh, he indulges his flesh. And he sleeps with her. A man after God's own heart. A man who had been blessed abundantly by God. All of us, as Christians here in this room, are still very prone to sin. And we mess up all the time. David was no less of a man after God's own heart when he messed up. But he messed up gloriously. And in God's sovereign hand, and this woman that he sleeps with gets pregnant so that David can't just sweep it under the rug. And so now David is exposed, this king of Israel. And he just so happens, this beautiful woman happened to be Uriah's wife. Uriah? Who's that? That's the general of David's army who's fighting in the battle as we speak while David is having adulterous relations with his wife. She gets pregnant. And instead of repenting of a sin, guess what David does? He tries to cover it. And so he has his friend Uriah murdered. And when Uriah is murdered, he then tells the nation Israel, I'm going to take Bathsheba to be my wife. She's lost her husband. I want to make sure she's taken care of. And he tries to make himself look what? Righteous. Self-righteousness. Deplorable. And this goes on, this charade goes on for a year. And do you know what the Bible tells us that David is feeling during that entire year? Incredible depression. 
David said, my bones were burning within me. There was a longing in my soul. I was like a broken man. I couldn't find any joy. I was in anguish every morning when I woke up. And so the world sins against God. They find themselves in the spot and they turn to alcohol and various things to try to fill that. Nothing will fill it. Uh, David then repents a year later. And he would write, Oh Lord, you have restored to me the joy of my salvation. I can breathe again. I can live again. Uh, You might want to read Psalm 32, Psalm 51, powerful psalms of David after he repents. A year after, he tried to hide it. I want you to know when we repent of our sin and we move forward in faith, we come to a Savior who's incredibly gracious, and he says, I forgive you. Enter into the riches of the kingdom and, and, and walk with me, and we have joy, and we begin to grow, and God begins to build us. If you are battling discouragement and depression and lacking joy and purpose, oh, I would encourage you, center yourself in the will of God, and times of refreshing will come upon you. And in order to center yourself in the will of God, there's only one way to do it. In order to center yourself in the will of God, you have to know something. What do you have to know? You have to know the will of God. How can you center yourself in the will of God if you don't know the will of God? Answer? You can't. I don't care how good you try to be. I don't care how nice you try to be. I don't care how good you try to brush your hair. If you don't know the will of God, you can't center yourself in the will of God. There's only one way to know the will of God, and that's through the word of God, which is why we spend a great amount of time here at the Mission Church, day in and day out, studying God's word, meditating upon it, because when you know the word of God, there is joy. There is peace when you're able to center your life in the will of God. And so may we be wise. Uh, Joseph wisely warned them, uh, do not become troubled along the way when you are doing God's will. And I want you to know, Christian, you and I would be wise to take this to heart. Because so often what we try to do is compromise. Well, I'm going to take one foot in the will of God and I'm going to keep one foot in my old life. And you know what happens? You're going to pull a groin. <laughs> it's going to hurt. It's going to be miserable, right? Uh, let, uh, repent of the sin. Move forward in faith and watch God grow you. Uh, Joseph's brother, step out in faith to tell dad. And Jacob learns, Israel learns that his son is alive. Uh, and that he's reigning at the right hand of power. Can you imagine Joseph, uh, excuse me, uh, Jacob hearing this? How incredible that must have been. Uh, Let's pick up verse 25, right where we left off. Then they, that's the brothers, went up out of the land of Egypt. And they came to the land of Canaan, to Jacob, to Israel, their father. And they told him, saying, Dad, Joseph is still alive. And he's the governor. Governor's a bad translation. He's the ruler over all the land of Egypt. And what do you think, Jacob, what do you think Israel must have done? He's like, are you kidding, right? Look what it says. And Jacob's heart stood still. He almost had a heart attack because he did not believe them. For 22 years, Joseph has been in mourning. Every day of his life. For those of you, I've talked with parents who have lost a child. You know what they say? There's not a day that goes by. There's not a day that goes by that I don't, I don't think of that child. And now he hears his son is alive. And he's like, oh my goodness. Uh, uh, my son is alive. Look what he says. Uh, verse 27. Uh, they, they, he did not believe him. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them. Uh, Dad, they said... Uh, you know, we meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. And God raised him up as the savior of the world. And that he's sitting at the right hand of power. And when he, that's Israel, saw the carts which Joseph had sent, the Egyptian motorcade that was there, he's like, well, obviously this must be true, right? And the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And, he, and <clears throat> then Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is alive. And I wish there were exclamation points in the Bible, right? I wish there was punctuation. Because can you imagine how he said it? Unbelievable. 
My son's alive. He's sitting at the right hand of power. Unbelievable. I will go and see him before I die. And oh, the joy that must have filled his heart. Uh, Israel's soul, Jacob's soul must have been thrilled, just overwhelmed with awe and joy. And no doubt, don't you know, he had a new spring in his step, right? He's 130 years old and he's probably dancing through the living room like a teenager, right? Just unbelievable. Uh, the, the colors look brighter. The air smells fresher. Uh, the birds are chirping beautiful songs. And just like the world looks different. It's amazing. My son is alive. I can't believe. Do you, can, you, can you imagine the joy in his heart? Can you imagine? And yet I want you to remember something. It was just a couple of chapters ago in Genesis chapter 42 that Joseph, excuse me, that Israel had said, all things are against me. That was just a few weeks ago. Why did he say it? Because his brother, his sons came home and they said, hey, Benjamin is now in Egypt in prison. And he says, unbelievable. I lost Joseph and now you've lost, you, you, you lost Benjamin. All things are against me. Not true, Jacob. Not true, Jacob. You simply don't know all things. God is working in your life right now to bring incredible good. All things are not against you. Uh, you just, you simply don't know all things. If you only knew all that God was doing, you would not be depressed that Benjamin's gone. You would be overjoyed. Hey, did you have a setback on Wednesday night? No problem. All things are not against you. We just don't know all things. I can't wait to see how God works this out. I'm in awe. I have some good friends here this service, Jim and Ann. They moved away a few years back when we were just, a, when we were just planning the church, when we were in the elementary school. And uh, they came here today to visit from out of state. And I hugged their neck. And it's like, it's so good to see them. And they're like, oh, my gosh, this place has grown. <laughs> yeah, it sure has. Uh, and they remember, like, you know, back when, and, and if you're going through a difficulty, I want you to know all things are not against you. You simply don't know all things. If you could only see what God is doing and what he is preparing for you, you would go, oh, Lord, it is amazing. You are incredibly good. God would say, I know the thoughts that I have for you. This is Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the thoughts that I have for you, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then you will go and you will call upon me. And then you will go and you will pray to me. And then you will go and you will seek my face. And when you do, you will hear from me when you seek for me with all your heart. And God had the audacity to tell Israel that when they were being led captive into Babylon. When they were being taken their homeland destroyed, and they were be taken as subjects into a foreign land. God has the audacity to tell them, I know the plans that I have for you. They're thoughts of good, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Doesn't look like it. Looks like I'm under bondage to the Babylonians. You're under bondage because of your sin. And I'm bringing discipline into your life because I'm going to build you, and I'm going to restore you, and I'm going to make you my people, uh, if we only knew, right? Uh, uh, all things are not against you. We simply don't know all things. And at times it's difficult to walk by faith, but it is so rewarding. And I want you to know, Jacob here, Israel here, he's 130 years old. And yet look what's happening. God is still building his faith. And no doubt, Jacob, Israel, he is saying, Oh my gosh, God, what was I ever worried about? What was I ever sad over? What was I ever brokenhearted for? Oh Lord, you're so good. 
My son Joseph is alive. He's ruling at the right hand of power. Lord, you're amazing. There's none like you. Do you know what happens? Joseph, excuse me, Israel is just now learning more things about God's plan. God's growing his faith. The Bible says, now unto him, speaking of Jesus, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly. Can you think of any superlatives that would explain that more? Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or hope. Exceedingly abundantly. I could hope for some pretty big things. God's doing exceedingly abundantly above even all I could ever ask for or even hope for if you only knew the future that you have in Jesus Christ. If you only knew. And here Jacob, Israel, sees it begin to unpack a little bit uh, and uh, uh, his world just becomes a huge blessing. Uh, Church, I want you to know, just like Jacob, God is working in your life in ways you cannot understand. And if you are going through hardship right now and you're saying, God, I don't understand why you're allowing this to happen to me. uh, You're right. You don't understand. Uh, uh, You simply don't understand all things. All things are not against you. God is working for you. Keep the faith. Uh, So Israel begins his journey to Egypt, the entire family. uh, There's going to be 70 of them. uh, And God's going to speak to Israel here. Um, Chapter 46. So Israel took his journey with all that he had. Couldn't give up the stuff, right? Brings all that he has. And he comes to Beersheba. Everybody say Beersheba. Beersheba. Beersheba is in the southern end of the promised land. There's a familiar phrase from Dan to Beersheba. Dan is all the way up to the, to the north of the promised land by, by Syria. And then Beersheba is all the way down in the south, uh, the very southern border of the promised land. Uh, in Beersheba, you can still plant crops and all of that. But as soon as you go past Beersheba, it is barren wilderness all the way into Egypt. And you can't live there or anything. And he goes all the way down to Beersheba. And look what he does. And he offers sacrifices, circle the S, sacrifices, plural, to the God of his father, Isaac. Sacrifices. What does he do? Well, he gets down to the end of the promised land. And he prays. And the sacrifices he offered was first and foremost, he would no doubt do a sin offering. God, I'm sorry I didn't believe you. I'm sorry I didn't trust you. I'm sorry I complained all those years about Joseph being gone. And I'm sorry that I whined about Benjamin. And I'm sorry that I complained about this and that I didn't walk in faith. And, and Lord, I just, I'm a sinner And a sin offering, the Bible tells us how it's done. You would get a a, a perfect lamb without spot or blemish. And you would bring it to your altar and you would put your hands on the top of that animal and you would confess all of your sins against God with your hand on top of that animal. God, I didn't trust you. I didn't believe. I complained. I got drunk, I cheated, I, whatever, right? And, and it's symbolic of all those sins being transferred from you to where? To that perfect spotless lamb. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. After you confessed your sins, you would then slit the throat of that lamb. And you would watch the pain of death come upon that animal. It was penal substitutionary atonement. Symbolically, that perfect spotless lamb taking your sin, a foreshadow of Jesus. And you would watch that animal die in your place and your sin would be covered. The next offering that no doubt Israel made was a peace offering. Another name for peace offering is a fellowship offering. Once you have a sin offering, you can then enter into fellowship with God. And 
He would offer a fellowship offering, saying, Lord, you're just so good to me. I can't believe your love for me. And he would worship God and praise him for his abounding love and favor on his life and that he was in fellowship with his creator. God, I'm going into Egypt now. I'm thinking I need you in my life. You're so good. I'm amazed at your grace. I'm amazed at your mercy. Show me how to walk with you, Lord. I'm your servant. Here I am, Lord. You use my life. Then he would give a burnt offering. And a burnt offering would be a fellowship offering. You'd have a barbecue, man. You'd eat that thing and you'd celebrate and you'd have a party. Your family would eat and you're like, we're in fellowship with God and you'd have a big, huge feast. A burnt offering was different. A burnt offering would, would be after the fellowship offering and he would give a burnt offering and he would say, that whole animal then just gets completely consumed in the flame. It completely, it's a picture of giving your entire life to God. My whole life is yours. Use my life, Lord. It's no longer mine. He gives us burnt offering. And these are the offerings that he would give there as he enters into this great appreciation and fellowship with his creator. And he gives those offerings in verse 1. Verse 2, look what happens. Then God spoke to Israel in a vision of the night. How interesting. Draw near to God. And God will draw near to you. Uh, <clears throat> Israel offers himself to God and God speaks to him and says, Jacob, Jacob. It's interesting that when God speaks to an individual, he always calls their name twice. Do you know why? Because we're slow to listen, man. <laughs> if I just get a David, it's like, da, 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 da. Is, that a, is that a Tesla? Is that a steak? Uh, David, David, uh, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And as we go through these next verses, I want you to get a pen in hand. God is going to give him six promises here that are really profound. We'll, we'll, we'll break them down, but I want you to number them right now. Six incredible promises that God gives to Jacob, to Israel here. Number one, put a little number one right here on verse three. I am God, the God of your father. Put a little number one right there. In English, we have the same word for God. In Hebrew, it's two different words. He says, I am El, the Elohim of your father. And father there means ancestor. El, I am El, the one true God, the Elohim. Elohim is plural. I am one God in three persons, the triune God. I am the God of your father. Wow. Uh, number two, put a little number two right here. Do not fear to go down to Egypt. Put a little number three here. For I will make of you a great nation there. Put a little four on verse four. I will go down with you to Egypt. Put a little five here. I will also surely bring you up again. And put a little six right here. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba. And the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob and their little ones and their wives in the carts in the Egyptian motorcade, which Pharaoh had sent to carry them. Uh, wow, They're, they go off. They leave the promised land and they go into Egypt and in royal style, there they go. Uh, I want you to know, very interesting, if you're a Bible scholar, this is the last time that God will speak to any of the patriarchs in the Bible. God will not speak again for 430 years. The next person he will speak to is who? Moses at the burning bush. God will not speak again to the patriarchs. This then is the, is the six promises or the culmination of all of God's promises to the patriarchs. And they are six beautiful promises. The first one, I am the one true God who made a covenant with your father, Abraham. I am El, the Elohim of your father. What is God telling him? He's telling him, listen, Jacob, listen, Israel, I am the same God. And this is the same covenant. I do not change. That's the first thing he tells them. God is, the Bible tells us, God is the same yesterday, today, and what? And forever. 
says the same thing about Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is good news. Do you know why? Because everything in the world changes. But if you build your life on God, you will be on a solid foundation that does not change. I want you to know people change. Morals change. Philosophies change. Culture changes. And if you build your life on any of those things, popularity, style, all those things, they all change. And you will be left with a broken foundation. But God never changes. And if you build your life on him, you will be on a solid foundation that will sustain you all the days of your life. Be wise. Be careful while you're building your house, Jesus told us. Be careful. Don't worry about what culture says is right and wrong. You build your life on what God says is right and wrong. Don't worry about what culture says is true. You build your life on what God says is true. We have seen through COVID that we have been lied to abundantly. And culture changes. And already the view of what happened, what was supposedly science just a couple years ago, is now changed radically. The word of God has not changed. And that's the first thing that God tells Jacob. Jacob, Israel, I am the God of your fathers. I do not change. I'm the one who made a covenant with Abraham, your grandfather, and I do not change. Be wise. Uh, here's a verse for you that says that in Malachi. By the way, Malachi, what book in the, in the Bible is Malachi? Where is that at? It's the last book in the Old Testament. I want you to think about that. Look at this verse in Malachi, Malachi 3.6. Super simple. Read it with me. I am the Lord. I do not change. I am Yahweh. I do not change. Written 400 years before Jesus came to the earth. There'll be a 400 year silent period after this. God speaks to, Mo, to Abraham, excuse me, to uh, Israel right here. There'll be a 400 year silent period after this. I am Yahweh. I do not change. Walk in my path. Uh, look at the rest of this verse, by the way. Uh, read it with me. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Uh, it sounds harsh when you first read it. It turns out to be incredibly comforting. You see, Israel is prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. And God says, listen, I am the same. I do not change. And this is the reason you're not consumed. If God did change, you know what I would be? I'd be consumed. It was Spurgeon who said, uh, God chose me before I was ever born. Because if he would have waited until after I would have bo was born, he would have never chose me. <laughs> right? I am Yahweh. I do not change. And therefore, you are not consumed. I want you to know every good and perfect gift comes from above, from, our fa from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. Stock markets will crash. Currencies will crumble. Did you see in the news this week, you prophecy buffs, Amazon, Whole Foods rolling out a brand new way to purchase your groceries. You can no longer use credit cards, no longer use money. Guess what you use? Your right hand. Uh, written thousands of years before uh, it ever happened in the Bible. Uh, and it's here at the doors. Uh, uh, everything will change, right? Stock markets will change. Currencies will change. Social security may not be here in 10 years. Build your life upon God's word, the solid foundation of God's word, and you'll be secure forever. And God tells Jacob here, listen, I do not change, Jacob. I am the one true God who made a covenant with your father. The next thing he tells him is, have no fear going down to Egypt. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. I'm calling you there. Uh, there is good reason for, for Jacob to have fear going to Egypt right now. No doubt he gets to the southern end of the promised land to Beersheba, and there he remembers, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I remember Father Abraham. He left the promised land to go to Egypt, 
And he did it because he wasn't trusting God. There was food in Egypt. And he went down there for food. And it turned out really bad. He got Hagar there and he sinned against God there and he lied about his wife there and God had to bail him out and now we got Ishmael and all these. That was bad. And he gets to Beersheba. He goes, wait a minute, what am I doing? Maybe I shouldn't leave the promised land. And God tells him, no, 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 no. Do not be afraid. I want you to go down to Egypt. And you say, well, how could that be? How do you know? Well, here's how we know. Because 215 years earlier, God had foretold to Abraham, Israel's grandfather, that this is what he was going to do. That he was going to take Israel down into Egypt. Uh, Here's a verse for you, Genesis 15, uh, 13, I think. Yeah, 15, 13. Uh, Let me hear you read this in a unified voice. This is God speaking. And he, that's God, said to Abraham, read with me, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. What land is that? Egypt. Two centuries ago, God foretold this was going to happen. And let's read together. And will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions, with Moses, right? Uh, God foretold this was going to happen. He tells them, I'm going to bring you down in there. They're going to be strangers in a land that is, that is not theirs. Uh, God tells Joseph here, excuse me, uh, 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 Jacob here, uh, don't be afraid in Egypt. I'm in this. This is my will for you. Uh, Jacob, my plan has not changed. This is what I foretold. And again, I will just tell you, life is so much better when we're walking in the center of God's will. And Jacob's uncertainty now comes to joy. God's going to be with me in this. Why? Because he knows he's in the center of God's will. If you are battling depression, if you are battling uh, confusion, uh, unhappiness, man, get yourself centered on the will of God. And again, study your Bible to make that happen so you can know God's will. Grow in it. Uh, Look at the third thing he tells him. He says, I will make you a great nation there. Uh, Joseph, my, my, excuse me, Jacob, my promises uh, will not change. Uh, uh, This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you into Egypt and I'm going to make you a great nation. We're going to learn in just a little bit that there's 70 people that go down from the promised land into Egypt. 70 people. Uh, I want you to think about some things. The year is 2091 B.C. 2091 B.C. God has told a man named Abraham to leave his homeland and to go into the promised land and that God is going to make him a great nation. That was 2091 B.C. Now, Jacob stands here and the year is 1876 B.C. You do the math, that's 215 years later. It's been 215 years since God said, I'm going to make you a great nation, and they only have how many people? 70. How many would say, that's a slow start to a nation? (laughs) After 215 years, only 70 people? Are you kidding me? Okay, well, hang on. God says, I'm going to take you down to, to Egypt, and I'm going to make you a great nation there. In 430 years, there'll be a man named Moses who stands at the Red Sea at 1446 B.C., 430 years later, and he will deliver two to three million Jewish people, the nation of Israel. And here's my point in this. We don't always see big changes when we start obeying God. We don't always see all the promises immediately coming into fruition when we start obeying God. But stay on the course because there is exponential growth that happens when we walk in God's path for us. Moses will deliver three million people out of the uh, nation Israel. God keeps his promises. And if we continue to obey God over time, we will see exponential growth. 
Look at the fourth thing that he promises him there. He says, I will be with you there in Egypt. Israel, don't worry. I know you're going into Egypt. I will be with you. Uh, I, I, imagine how reassuring and comforting this was for Jacob, for Israel. Oh my gosh, uh, don't worry, Jacob, you're not alone. Even there in Egypt, I'll be with you. I want you to know, God doesn't, Jesus doesn't hang out in church. Did you know that? And when you leave church, guess who's still with you? Jesus. And when you go sit your bottom on the couch, guess who's still with you? And when you go into that board meeting, guess who's still with you? I will be with you when you go into the world. And I will, I'll, I'll grow you. I'll build you there. This is God's promise. I'll build you in Egypt. Uh, it is God who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. No, never, never, never. And he reassures Joseph, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, Jacob that right now. Uh, the fifth thing he tells him is, I will bring you back into the land. Uh, I'm going to bring you back into the promised land. My covenant for you, Israel, has not changed. The promised land is still yours. And Israel, that promised land will be yours when you're in Egypt. And Israel, that promised land will be yours. I'm going to bring you back into it. And Israel, that promised land will be yours for how long? Forever. Forever. Uh, do you remember Genesis 17 when we studied it? Uh, let's look at it again. Genesis 17, 7 on your screens. Let me hear you in a thundering voice. I will establish my covenant between me and you, speaking to Abraham, and to your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant. How long is everlasting? Forever. It's an eternal covenant. To be your God and uh, to, be, to be God to you and to your descendants after you. Let's go on to the rest of the verse. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Uh, today, there is a great debate on who the land belongs to, and we want to do a split state. We want to do a two-nation solution I want you to know you're going against God's word and the, the land belongs to Israel. God swore it millennia ago and he says it's theirs as a everlasting possession forever. And so may we be wise. Uh, this is not merely a, a promise that God is going to take Israel to be buried in the promised land, but that God will give the entire nation of Israel and bring them back into the promised land uh, I will bring you back into the promised land. And look at the sixth promise, he says. He says, you will, be re you, you will be reunited with your son Joseph for the rest of your days. He tells him, uh, he will put his hand on your eyes. Uh, that's a picture of our death, right? And when we die, you know what we want around us? We want our kids around us. And God is telling Israel here, Israel, the boy that you've been mourning over for 22 years will be at your side for all of your days. And you will be with him until the, you take your last breath. And he will be the one who closes your eyes. Uh, when we die, we often die with our eyes open. And a loved one comes in and you know, just closes. And he's saying, Joseph is going to be there by your side all of your days. Uh, how comforting. What an amazing reunion. Uh, and I want you to know this, church. God wants to bless you. Look what he's doing for Israel. Take comfort if you only knew all the plans that God has for you. And so Israel then journeys on his journey. And he's, he's just, you know, he's sought to worship the Lord. He's giving these offerings. He's having fellowship with God. And then God comes and speaks to him. Uh, and I'm amazed at how relational God is. And it begs the question, doesn't it? What if Jacob got to Beersheba and he didn't stop to pray? And he didn't stop to give offerings. And he didn't stop to give, say, God, I want to be in fellowship with you. And I want to devote my life to you in a burnt offering. What if he didn't do all that? Well, he may have not heard the voice of God. And hearing the voice of God brings incredible joy to the soul. Reassures us that we're in the center of God's will. Confirms all the truths that God had previously spoken and realigns my life to everything that God has said so that I can have an abundance of joy. You see, joy is the fruit of the Spirit. It's the 
the fruit of being in the center of God's will. And to have that happen, we have to be in fellowship with God. Uh, Joseph, excuse me, Israel took time to make these offerings and to be with God. And here's what the Bible says, draw near to me and what? I will draw near to you. And here we see it so true in, in Israel's life. Um, <clears throat> let's see if we can uh, read a little bit more and, and uh, cover a little more ground as we begin to wrap things up. Uh, we left off on verse 6, right? Yeah, verse 6. Chapter 46, verse 6. Are you there? <clears throat> so God speaks to them, right? And now they, they, take, they take off on the journey. Uh, uh, they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and they went into Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons, his grandsons. What a joy, right? His daughters and his sons' daughters, his granddaughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. And uh, verse 8 uh, talks about the different sons and lists all the genealogies, the different 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, we're going to skip all that for time's sake right now. Jump down to verse 26. So all the persons who went with Jacob, who went with Israel to Egypt, who came from his body, besides Jacob's son's wives, we're not going to count Jacob's son's wives here right now because we're counting the descendants that actually came from Jacob's loins, right? From Jacob's own body. Uh, we're 66 persons in all. Verse 27. And the sons of Joseph, who were born him in Egypt, were two persons. So we have 66 people, uh, Joseph's sons and grandsons and everything, that are granddaughters that are going down into Egypt from the promised land. 66 plus Joseph, that makes how many? 67 plus Joseph's two sons that are already in Egypt, Ephraim and Manasseh, that makes how many? 69, plus Israel himself, that makes how many? 70, 70 people. All the persons of the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were 70. Then he, Jacob, sent Judah before him to point out before him the way to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen, which is in Egypt. That's where they were going to dwell. It was the most fertile land in Egypt. And that's where they were going to dwell. We'll look at that next week. Uh, verse 29. This is fascinating. You might want to underline verse 29. So Joseph, the one ruling at the right hand in power, Joseph, made ready his chariot. He wakes up that day and he says, hey, I'm going to meet dad. Get my best chariot. Get the very best one. And put some extra polish on it, would you? I really want it to look nice. And he gets up and he makes sure he's groomed and he's all puts on his royal garb and he, he makes everything ready. Why? To meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him. And he fell on his neck and he wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, now let me die, since I have seen your face, because you are still alive. Uh, Joseph, uh, excuse me, Israel doesn't want to die. Here's what he's saying. Now my soul can rest in peace. My life is content. You're alive. I've got everything I ever needed. I mean, just what? I just, oh, my heart is overjoyed. And they hug each other. What an amazing reunion. What a tender moment. A father and son reunited after 22 years. I guarantee you, every day of Israel's life, he thought about this boy. And now they're arm in arm, and Israel, uh, uh, Joseph is ruling at the right hand in power, and just there they are, just unbelievable. Sees him in all his, his power. Uh, Men, I want to have your undivided attention as we wrap things up here. And I hope you see this here. I'm sure you've already seen it. The power and the importance of a father cannot be overstated. Think of this story. Joseph is the most powerful man on the planet. He is not trying to impress women. 
He is not trying to gain power and fame. He is not trying to be popular. He is not trying to impress his military. He's not even trying to impress the Pharaoh. But there is one man he wants to impress. Who is it? It's his dad. I want my dad to be proud of me. I want my dad to see what I've become. I want my dad to see the success I have. I want my dad to be proud of me. And Joseph orders, hey, get my best chariot ready. And he puts on the, the royal clothing and present, thinks about it and wakes up in the mornings. Man, I'm going to show myself to my dad. And the power and importance of a father cannot be overstated. It is incredible. Joseph, the most powerful man on the earth, and yet he wants to impress his dad. And dad, I want you to know you hold the most significant role in your son and your daughter's life. Right before service, I was here with a father who had been separated from his very young daughter, and he's been telling me each week, hey, she's coming back on this date, she's coming back on this date. And so he comes into church right now at this service, he's here right now, and he comes through the doors and he comes to me, he goes, hey, I want to introduce you to my daughter. And so he grabs me, and I go to the K-1 class, and there she is, sitting down, coloring. She's as beautiful as can be. And I said, hi, sweetie, I've heard so much about you. And you know what she says? Oh, my daddy's amazing. I'm not making a word of this up. My daddy's amazing. I'm not embellishing a word. He buys me everything. <laughs> this is not a man of means, I want you to know. This is a, a blue-collar worker. And he takes care of me. And he protects me. And there she was, just radiant, beaming. And I look over her dad, tears coming down his face. This man has had legal issues and things. Uh, and he's rebuilding his life because he's come to Jesus Christ. And he's starting to walk in the role of a father. And that little girl was so proud of her dad. And here is the king, the savior of the world, who is the king over all of Egypt. And there is one man in his life that he wants to impress. Dads, the power of your role cannot be overstated. Your words, your time, your attention, your discipline, your firm hand of discipline to build them, to guide them, to sculpt them, to make them men and women of character. Your role of telling that child, hey, when you meet a man, you grab his hand firm and you look him in the eye and you show him respect. You're building a man. You're building a daughter. In September, I'm giving my daughter's right hand in marriage. And I have built one godly woman that I am so proud of. And you have the most powerful role in your children's lives. And I want you to know the world is trying to strip that from you, men, trying to make it look like you can't figure out how to load the dishwasher and you need your wife's help to do it. And there's a reason, because you are formidable and you are a powerful force that God has given to change and to make the world a safe place. And men are to lay down their lives to protect women and children. And that is your role. Walk in it. Walk in it. It is the most rewarding, most joy-filled life you can imagine. I can't even tell you how proud of my sons and daughter I am. And I would, man, I, I can't even go there, I'll cry. It's the most rewarding thing there is. And take a look at this. Joseph just wants to please his dad. I want you to know, dads, the stats on fatherlessness is unbelievable. They're staggering. And we want to go against the sway of the world that is trying to say a dad's not important, a dad's not an authority figure. It's male, toxic, male toxicity. Garbage. Garbage. It is the strength of the nation. And as the father is in the home, the home changes. And as the home changes... 
this neighborhood changes. And as the neighborhood changes, the city changes. And as the city changes, the state changes. And as the state changes, the nation changes. And it begins with a man in the house. Let me give you some stats. The fatherless crisis in America is a, it just, it's, it's horrible. Uh, uh, fatherless produces 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 71%. 85% of people in prison come from fatherless homes. You have a 700%, you're 700% more likely to have a teen pregnancy if you come from a fatherless home. 700%. You are more likely to have mental illness, to suffer from mental illness, to suffer from alcoholism, drug, drug addictions, um, abusing drugs, uh, uh, depression, all these things if you come from a fatherless home. You are 400% more likely to live in poverty if you come from a fatherless home. There, there is a 90%, 90% of all homeless and runaway children come from fatherless homes. And if you've seen the sound of freedom, you know that their children are being trafficked. They're coming from fatherless homes. Men, you are the ones who stand and build your children and defend your family and build your fortress and build your kingdom. And you are the most powerful voice in that child's life. And no matter how successful in life, they need this. They need to know that you are proud of them and that you love them. And that you are building them and never quit. I thought I would be done being a dad when they were 18. I just realized I was just beginning. <laughs> and I've got wise men. I mean, wise men and a wise daughter. And I'm still pouring into them and discipling them. And, and, and they're already wise men. It never stops. And this is God's will. It takes a strong man to be a good father. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.